All right, our text this morning is Revelation chapter 17, if you'd open your Bibles there. If you follow me on social media, uh, I got up to get a cup of coffee this morning. I was working on this, and my little kitty who was studying with me did some typing. She, uh, like, she, she's learned how to do the touch screen, and, and then she'll type a little bit. And so I don't know. Uh, I see a mistake right here, as a matter of fact. So I don't know what's liable to happen. So we're in chapter 17, and the topic is meow. Uh, oh, no. The topic is... John sees a woman sitting on a scarlet beast representing the influence of the city of Babylon over the Antichrist during the first half of the future seven-year tribulation. The title of our message, Beauty on the Beast. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are excited to study your word. Uh, we look at these future things, Lord, and, and quite honestly, we are glad that we won't be on the earth to suffer them. But at the same time, Lord, there's a, a spirit that permeates the age in which we live, which is very similar to what's going to be going on in the tribulation. And so, Lord, we want to guard our hearts against that, walk with you in purity, cooperate with you in becoming all that you desire us to be as you change us from glory to glory. So give us insight into the word, Lord. Uh, pray that we would understand what it means and what it means to us. And we pray in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. How long, start to finish, groundbreaking to ribbon cutting, do you think it would take to build a 30-story luxury hotel? If I told you it could be done in 15 days, would you believe me? Well, you probably would this morning because you know I'm getting to something. A construction crew in south-central Chinese city of Changsha built a 183,000-square-foot hotel with no injuries to any worker in 15 days. That's just 360 hours. The Ark Hotel, it's called, built on Dongting Lake in the Hunan province. It can withstand a magnitude 9 earthquake, which is five times more quake resistant than conventional buildings. Another developer in China built an entire 57-story building in just 19 days. The Sky City building was put up brick by brick at a rate of three full stories a day in Changsha, the capital of Hunan province. The building has 800 apartments and enough office space for 4,000 people. You've heard of Dubai, but have you heard of Dubai Internet City? It was built as a tech center just a few miles from Dubai, occupying 400 acres. It opened in 2001 with 10 buildings, 300 companies, and 3,500 users. It was built from start to finish in less than 12 months. Now, let me tell you what this has to do with chapter 17 and 18 of the Revelation. We're going to read about Babylon, and there is lively scholarly debate about whether or not the Apostle John meant the city of Babylon rebuilt on its historic site on the Euphrates River in Iraq, or whether he meant Babylon as a spiritual description of some other city, or even something allegorical like the evil world system. When I say he meant it as a real city built on its original site along the Euphrates River in Iraq, Critics say it's not possible for such a city to be built quickly enough to be significant in the seven-year tribulation. Oh, yes, it is. Today, it is. And it will be built just in time to be destroyed by God. You and I drive up and down 12th Avenue, and we see how long it takes to build that what, four- or five-story government building that's taking place there. 
they're excited that it's going to be done uh, in two or three years or whenever it is, and that's normal. But we get lulled into thinking that all construction takes that long. Uh, they are literally building these massive structures in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. China, as a matter of fact, has hundreds of what they call ghost cities that they've built, anticipating uh, continued population growth into urban centers. They have whole cities that are empty and vacant waiting for people to move into them. And so uh, the fact that Babylon could be rebuilt uh, is not a problem anymore. Now, in chapter 18, we're going to be introduced to the political and economic side of Tribulation Babylon. Here in chapter 17, we see the spiritual side of that great but terrible city. Spiritually speaking, Babylon will be described as a harlot. In fact, she is called the mother of all harlots. Since she is the mother of all spiritual harlots, her influence has been felt in every human generation. She is active now, seeking to seduce people away from the pure love of God into spiritual fornication and adultery. As we look at Tribulation Babylon, I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you're made aware of the constant seduction of the spiritual harlot. And number two, you're made aware of the coming destruction of the spiritual harlot. Let's take a look at her seduction in verses 1 through 6. Before we do, let me share a brief doctrinal moment. We are what is called futurist in our approach to the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see most of the book as describing future events, things that have yet to occur. The other approaches to interpreting the revelation all allegorize the text to a certain extent. Allegory means you assign a symbolic meaning to a literal element of the text. One problem with allegorizing scripture is that it assigns a deeper meaning to the text that the original author never intended to convey. Another obvious problem is that unless the Bible tells you it's an allegory and then explains it, you can't really agree on the proper allegory. In fact, scholars suggest any number of interpretations to texts they allegorize until the interpretations become meaningless. It's important we be consistent in our futurism. We can't accuse others of seeing allegories in the literal parts of the revelation and then do that ourselves. Futurists sometimes stumble a little bit when it comes to tribulation Babylon. They suggest it is code for another city like Rome or New York or the Vatican or that it is code for evil in a general sense. In other words, they tend to allegorize Babylon. When we are consistent, Babylon in the Revelation means the literal city of Babylon rebuilt on its ancient site in Iraq. There is absolutely no biblical reason to suppose that all of a sudden in the future Babylon means something or somewhere else. And there's no practical reason for believing that either because these cities can be built in just a few months. After Jerusalem, Babylon is the most mentioned city in the Bible. There are almost 300 references to it in Scripture as a city that is opposed to God. Babylon will be quickly rebuilt, and for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, it will be the home base for a world-dominating false religion. In verses 1 through 6, John receives a weird vision of the religious system of tribulation Babylon. The interpretation of what he saw is then given in verses 7 through 18. And so let's begin, verse 1. 
One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Chapter 16 ended with the pouring out upon the earth of the seventh and final bowl of the wrath of God. It marked the end of the seven-year tribulation. Chronologically, chapter 19 would come next with the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. What we have in chapter 17 and 18 is a pause, a parenthesis in the story to tell us about the rise and fall of Babylon during those seven years. While we've been reading all this other stuff in the Revelation, uh, we haven't heard about Babylon. And now John is given a vision to tell us what's going to go on in that city during those seven years. God considers Babylon the great harlot, sees her as a spiritual seductress. In the Old Testament, God describes his relationship to Israel as that of a husband and a wife. In the New Testament, you know the church is called the bride of Jesus Christ. If we are being seduced by a spiritual harlot, and if we succumb to her, then we would be committing fornication and spiritual adultery. It's a powerful illustration to get us to understand how very serious the love of God for us is. When we stray in our walk with the Lord and go after things in the world or something takes the place of the Lord, it's as if we are committing adultery. It's that serious. God's love is a jealous love. We tend to think of jealousy in a bad light, but we ought to be glad and rejoice that God is jealous over us. It means that He not only knows what's best for us, but He's at work to bring that best into our lives and to protect us from those things that will only destroy us. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, and if you've backslidden or times that you've sinned, you know how miserable you feel. You know the ruin of your life. God is jealous over you. He doesn't want you to be drawn away by those kinds of seductions because they're no good for you. They only leave you ruined spiritually and sometimes literally. And so verse 2, this harlot with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Kings of the earth lets us know that Babylon has exerted its influence throughout history. We get a lot of that history from the book of beginnings, from the book of Genesis. Babylon was founded by Nimrod, not the Nimrod of Bugs Bunny fame, but the original Nimrod. How many of you remember Nimrod from Saturday morning cartoons? What a Nimrod. I don't think you can call people Nimrod anymore. I think it's, I think it's not politically correct. But In Genesis, we're told he began to be a mighty one, meaning that he was a tyrant. We also read he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Now, he may have hunted game, but this phrase really describes him hunting men, not for sport to kill them, to subdue them. He set himself against God by searching out men, subduing them, and bringing them under his own rule. Nimrod is the first Napoleon. He's the first Hitler. He's the first Genghis Khan. He's the prototype of all these guys throughout history that have wanted to rule over men. In Genesis 10.10, we read, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Nimrod then was the world's first dictator, and his capital city was Babel, which we know as Babylon. And by the way, Nimrod prefigures the final world dictator, the Antichrist, whose capital city will thus also be Babylon. Babylon is the location where mankind first began to worship in organized rebellion against God at the Tower of Babel. 
The tower was not an attempt to build a stairway to heaven. They weren't trying to go higher and higher into the heavens. It was what archaeologists today call a ziggurat. These are terrace-stepped pyramids which were built to worship other deities. One such excavated ziggurat called the Burz Nimud is described by archaeologists as follows. Here's the description. This tower was built of kiln-burnt bricks, and the building rose in seven stages in conformity with the Babylonian planetary system. The entire original height would thus have been 156 feet. The different stages were colored after the hue of the planet to which it was respectively dedicated. On the seventh stage, there was probably placed the ark or tabernacle, which must have nearly covered the top of the seventh story. The whole structure was formed as a kind of oblique pyramid. And so these were structures with different stages where you would worship uh, the planetary bodies and the deities that you believe were behind them. Extensive historical information exists documenting the Babylonian religion that was established at the Tower of Babel. We know, for example, that the wife of Nimrod became the head of a religious system, and she was known by the name Semiramis. She gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. Her son, named Tammuz, was considered a savior to the people. Both Semiramis and her son were worshipped. She was depicted as the queen of heaven, seen holding her infant son in her arms. Tammuz, according to tradition, was killed by a wild animal, but came back to life. All of this seems to be a satanic corruption and counterfeit of Jesus Christ's virgin birth, his resurrection from the dead. To halt the progress of the Tower of Babel, God confounded human languages so that folks could not understand one another. After the flood, everybody spoke Italian, and they could all understand each other. And then at the Tower of Babel, as they started to build this tower, God came down and he split people into groups and gave them different languages so that they couldn't understand one another. And people began to disperse all over the earth. As those who could still communicate went out, the false religion of Babel went with them in every direction, and they established it in slightly different ways. In Assyria, you'll find Ishtar and her son, Tammuz, in Phoenicia, you find Astarte and her son, Baal. In Egypt, it's Isis and Osiris. In Greece, Aphrodite and Eros. In Rome, Venus and Cupid. It is therefore a fact of recorded history that Babylon exerted its influence upon future kingdoms. And the Bible's telling us all future kingdoms, all humanity, including today. And so verse 3 so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Don't get antsy. The angel showing John these things is going to interpret them for us in the remaining verses. Verse 5, on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots, the Abominations of the Earth. As we've explained before, a mystery in the Bible is something previously concealed that is now being revealed. The mystery revealed here is that Babylon has indeed influenced the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. 
She is the mother from which all other false religions have their origin. Now, I suggested some direct comparisons in kingdoms that had a mother-son worship system. Whether or not a religion copies those particular Babylonian practices, the rebellion that occurred at Babel with its attempt to worship something or someone other than God in an organized, systematic way, that is the influence for everything that is false and that opposes the Word of God. Abominations and filthiness are summary words to describe the results of leaving God behind and worshiping the creation or the creature rather than the Creator. It may happen in one generation, it may take several, but if, uh, uh, if people decide to ignore God, to ignore the Creator, and they begin to worship in a systematic other way, they eventually see the deterioration of human society. The first chapter of Romans does a really nice job of explaining the deterioration that accompanies spiritual seduction. Let me read just a portion of it. It says here, these people exchange the truth of God for the lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. They know the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they do the same, they also approve of those who practice them. And so what we're establishing there is that abominations and filthiness, they are the rotten fruit of being seduced by the harlot, of turning away from God and to anything else lead you down that cesspool. Now, verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Here's a pop quiz. Who does the Bible say was a murderer from the beginning? Well, that would be the devil. Satan is, of course, the malevolent force behind Babylon throughout history and behind its murderous rebellion. His particular target has been the ancestors and successors of the chosen nation of Israel. But he's killed a bunch of Christians along the way, too, that leads to the tribulation. And in the tribulation, he's going to go on a rampage against all the followers of Jesus. Here is what these opening verses establish. The Satan-inspired religious rebellion of the human race at Babel spread from there throughout history to every culture in every corner of the world. It will come to its zenith in the future seven-year tribulation Babylon, but it is just as much at work in the world today. That means you and I are constantly being spiritually seduced by a murderous harlot whose purpose is to see you destroyed to murder everything that's good about you. The things that seek to undermine your walk with Jesus are no less whorish, they are no less horrible than what we read about in the future. Don't try to be like Ulysses in mythology. 
You might remember an episode in his life where he wanted to hear the song of the beautiful sirens. But the problem was when you heard the siren song, you were driven mad to get to them and you turned your ship into the rocks and, and you were killed. And so Ulysses had his men tie him to the mast and then put wax in their ears and get as close to shore as they could. And so even though he was crying out to his men to turn in towards the siren song, they couldn't hear him, nor could they hear the siren song. And so he was the only man who was ever able to live having heard that song. And of course, in Greek mythology, we think he was something great. But what happens is, uh, we kind of have this attitude towards sin sometimes. We think we can tie ourselves to a mast. We can keep ourselves anchored, but venture out a little bit into sin. And so the question is, are you tied to some sinful mass? If you are, you need to repent. Keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus is a heavenly bridegroom. He's busy cleansing you. He's adorning you to meet our Father in heaven. You just don't have time to go back into the world, to turn from God back to idols. And all it's going to do is leave you shipwrecked and crashed anyway. And so think about that. Verses 7 through 18, you're made aware of the coming destruction of the spiritual harlot. Babylon will be quickly rebuilt, becoming the capital of what is either a one-world religion, or more likely, it's an ecumenical center that is open to all faiths, but has tremendous power. It's more likely that it's something open to all faiths because we know it's going to coexist with Jews worshiping at their rebuilt temple. And so the Jews will be worshiping at their temple, There'll be lots of other religions, and they will all kind of come together in the city of Babylon on the Euphrates. It's like those coexist bumper stickers. Have you seen those when you're behind somebody? It says coexist. Seven symbols. The first is a crescent moon with a star. It's an Islamic symbol. The second is the peace sign. Third is the letter E with a male and female symbol incorporated into it. Fourth is the star of David. I think the fifth letter I has a dot, which is a pentagram. The sixth letter is the letter S, and they make it into the yin and yang, the Chinese symbol of a balance between good and evil. If you've seen the Star Wars movie, it's essentially the force, you know. <laughs> Last, you have their understanding of the cross representing Christianity. A kumbaya arrangement of religions continues for the first three and a half years of the tribulation till the Antichrist, whose other name in this chapter is the Beast, openly demands to be worshipped. When he does, and those aligned with him destroy all those uh, aspects of tribulation Babylon. They, when he declares himself God, they're going to destroy the religions of the world. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. If we only had the vision, we'd be confused. We could agree with those that say the revelation is full of signs and symbols that can't be understood. We'd be forced to allegorize, come up with our own interpretations. As always, if we're patient and read on, everything is made clear for us. And so verse 8, the beast that you saw was, is not, he will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Earlier in our studies, we saw mid-tribulation, the Antichrist will be assassinated. He will go into the abyss, but he will be raised back to life. This is what John means when he says he was, 
He is not, and he will ascend out of the bottomless pit. After the tribulation, he is destined to go to perdition. He will be cast alive into the lake of fire to suffer eternal conscious torment. Now, we explained in a previous study also that the book of life is the book of the living. We think it's a record of every human being. Your name remains there unless you die having rejected Jesus as Savior. When that happens, your name is removed from the book. It is blotted out. The tribulation folks whose name have been blotted out chose to worship the beast even though they were warned by God to not do so. The choice they make to worship the beast is a conscious, willful rebellion against God. It is a rejection of Jesus from which they will not repent. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The key to deciphering kingdom math here is that the angel tells John one kingdom is. That means it exists. It existed, rather, in John's day. That was, of course, the Roman Empire. That means the five kingdoms had fallen prior to Rome. They were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Along with Rome, these are the kingdoms the Bible is interested in. Are there other kingdoms that have you know, been on the earth? The British Empire, the United States, those kinds of... Sure, of course. The Bible's not concerned with, the, with that history. It's concerned with history as it refers to the nation of Israel. So these are the kingdoms that we're talking about. These are the same kingdoms the angel shows Daniel in his prophecies. And so we're looking at prophecy from, or history rather, from God's viewpoint, not our own. Rome is thus the sixth kingdom, but it's also a seventh kingdom that has not yet come. It is described in verses 11 and 12. Hang on now. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. It's really not that confusing. Let's make a list. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Those are kingdoms one, two, three, four, and five. Rome that existed at, when John was alive, that's kingdom number six. The Roman Empire is going to be revived in the first years of the tribulation. That would make it number seven on this list. The revived Roman Empire is going to be ruled by the Antichrist during the last half of the tribulation. That's going to be number eight on this list. The Antichrist, when it says he was of the seven, but is also the eighth, that tells you that he is ruling along with other individuals for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, growing in power, but after he's assassinated and raised from the dead, he takes over and becomes a kingdom in and of himself. What about the comment, the seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sits? Some say the headquarters must therefore be Rome in Italy because Rome is, after all, renowned as the city of seven hills. I like Bible commentator J.A. Seiss, and he wrote this. He said, the seven hills of the city of Rome, to begin with, are not mountains, as everyone who has been there can testify. But the taking of them as literal hills or mountains at all is founded upon a misreading of the angel's intent. The angel does not say, the seven heads are seven mountains where the woman sits, and there leave off. He adds immediately, and they are seven kings, that means they are personified kingdoms 
The mountains are not piles of material rocks and earth at all. They are kings and kingdoms. And so verse 12, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. They receive authority for one hour or for a short time as kings with the beast. They are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. After demanding to be worshipped following his assassination and resurrection, the Antichrist will consolidate the revived Roman Empire into an eighth world empire. It will consist of a coalition of ten nations or kingdoms or probably regions of the world subordinate to his supreme power. This is what we're talking about and looking at here in this text. And so verse 14 these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Uh, we talked in our last study about Jesus returning to the earth in His second coming. When He does, in the battle of Armageddon, all the army, armies of the world are turned against Him, but they are destroyed by Him. Same reference here. Now, someone is with Jesus at His coming, at His victory, who are the called, chosen, and faithful? Well, that's us. It's the church having been raptured prior to the start of the tribulation. We get to chapter 19. We'll see ourselves in the future returning to earth with the Lord. Verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Oh, yeah, we were talking about a harlot. Did we get sidetracked instead talking about the Antichrist? Not really. The harlot who had so much influence over the whole earth is going to have a problem mid-tribulation. As I said earlier, if the Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God, how can the false one-world coexist religion go on? Well, it can't. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, verse 16, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Whatever the final form of the religion of tribulation Babylon is, whether a one world religion or an ecumenical union of all religions, when the beast arises from the abyss empowered and indwelt by Satan, his ten buddies will aid him in destroying Babylon. You must either worship him or else. They'll have to take off your coexist bumper sticker and put on one that says, it's my way or the die way, because he's going to kill you. And there's no other religion, there's just him. Verse 18, the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. How is the harlot a great city? Well, she's headquartered there. If I say Vatican City you immediately think of the Roman Catholic religion. That's all that goes on there. It's a real city, but at the same time, it is the seat of tremendous global religious power and influence. Same idea. Babylon is going to be that way in the tribulation. By the way, you might have a question, what about Roman Catholicism? Isn't she the harlot as the reformers and many evangelicals taught and still think? If you are in a prophetic evangelical tradition, you probably believe that the Pope is the false prophet and that the Roman Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. Well, to the extent Roman Catholic doctrine is a religion of works and that it promotes idol worship and that it elevates the church over the Bible, it's certainly a part of the coexist religions of tribulation Babylon. It's certainly 
uh, an error. It'll, but all false religions and philosophies are going to come together in tribulation Babylon. So I'm no longer singling out Catholicism as the harlot all by herself. She doesn't get a pass, but it's something much greater than any one religious system. Someone let me know that it was Linda Ronstadt's birthday on the 15th. How many of you knew that? She was 69 years old. Makes me happy. Oh, sorry. Get your album out later this afternoon. But anyway, I sarcastically commented, when will she be loved? Get it? Some of you are saying, Linda who? Wasn't she on the American soccer team? No. Jesus loves you. He demonstrated his love by taking your place on the cross, by dying in your place. He took your sin upon himself so you could be declared righteous by God, so that you could have your sins forgiven, so that you could enjoy eternal life now and forever. Satan, who's behind the mother of all harlots, is a pimp. He has a stable full of seductresses. Like the sirens, get too close and you're going to turn towards them you're going to be shipwrecked. Who are the sirens in our lives? Don't think you're going to be able to get closer and closer to them and remain safe. Always get away from them. Give them a wide berth. Flee into the arms and heart of the Lord. He's the only one who loves you with an everlasting love and who drew you to himself with those cords of love. Let's pray.